Brethren, I'd like to ask you some questions this afternoon, and I'd like you to think about these questions as we begin the sermon. The one question you've heard for years, but I'd like you to think about it in reference to just being here today. Why are you here today listening to this sermon? Why are you here today listening to this sermon? Is it because you're here with your parents because they brought you and you didn't have any choice? Or is it because you wanted to be with friends? Are you here because you know you would be noticed if you weren't here? And then uh, some of the ministers would call you and ask, where were you? Or were you here because of the free food that we will have after services? Now, that's not a wrong reason, but that should not be the reason. A couple of other questions. Do you understand why you're here? Do you understand why you are here? Do you have a compelling reason for being here? In other words, I want to be here. I know why I'm here. Or is it just, well, you know, I didn't have anything else to do, and so I'm here. Do you realize what you've been called to be part of? Do you realize what you've been called to be part of, to take part in, to be part of? Do you recognize the incredible opportunity that God is offering to you. you know, as we heard in the announcement, some of the people that have come across our literature, they said, wow, I've never heard about a kingdom of God before. You know, I grew up in a number of other Protestant churches. I had never heard about the kingdom of God either until I came in contact with the church of God. I just never heard about it. What are you doing with the opportunity that God has offered to you? What will you do with the opportunity that God has offered to you? I want you to think about these things. And I bring this up for a reason. This year I'll have been in the Church of God for about 50 years. And some of you have been longer. Some of you have been shorter. But during that 50 years, I've seen a lot of people come and go, as you have seen a lot of people come and go. I've watched young people grow up in the church. Some get baptized and some stay. Others leave and just disappear. I've watched a lot of new people, many who I've visited personally. They're all excited and begin to attend church. Some stay and some leave. I've watched other people be ordained, and I've ordained some, and some stay and some leave. Some leave and start their own church. Others leave and lose their faith totally. Now we could ask and ponder why this happens, and we could probably spend Another many, many sermons talking about that. But one of the things I've noticed over the years is I think one of the reasons that people don't stay 
One of the reasons that people leave is that they've never really addressed the fundamental questions that I just asked you. Why are you here? Do you recognize what you're part of? Do you realize the opportunity that God is offering to you and not to the entire world right now? What I'd like to do in the sermon today in asking and answering this question, why are you here? I want to focus on three reasons why you're here. And I want to show you those reasons from the scriptures. And I want to do this for a reason. You know, many studies have shown that people that leave their faith, young people, older people, they leave because they're never given a biblical reason for what they believe. In other words, they can't take the scriptures and show you from the scriptures why they believe what they do. Oh, I believe because it just feels so good in my heart. Well, that's not a biblical answer. If somebody comes along and kind of makes fun of what you believe, well, that didn't make me feel very good, so maybe I'll leave. Now, we need to be able to prove from the scriptures why we believe what we do. I want to show you this afternoon from the scriptures that the Bible clearly explains why you're here. You don't have to guess at it. The Bible explains why you're here. The question is, do you believe what the Bible says? The Bible reveals the incredible opportunities that you're being offered. It's all there. The question is, do you believe it? Will you buy into it or just kind of brush it off? So I want to talk about three reasons why you're here. Three very powerful biblical reasons why you're here. And I want to use the scriptures to do that. So that you know that you know that you know that you know <laughs> what you believe and why you believe it. You know, when I was counseling for baptism about 50 years ago, the minister I was talking to, he wasn't that much older than I was, but he was helping me learn. And he said, you need to prove that God exists. You need to prove that the Bible is the word of God. And then you need to back your mind into a corner and make it admit what the answers are. And if you do that, nobody's going to be able to take your beliefs away from you. I remember talking with an individual that I spent some time with at Ambassador College. He became a minister somewhat later. He began preaching some of the new ideas that were coming out back in the 19. 90s, and so I came up to him one time and said, how can you preach what you once proved was not true? And he kind of stumbled and he said, well, 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 I, I never proved everything. I never proved everything. As a result, he drifted off in a different direction. Your brethren, we need to prove what it is that we believe and know what the Bible says. So let's look at reason number one. Why are you here? Reason number one, you're here because you are called by God 
You're not here by accident. Now, for some of the young people, you might say, well, if my dad or my mom hadn't stumbled across that church, you know, I, I wouldn't be here. I'd be able to do all these other things. I wouldn't put too much stock in that answer. I wouldn't put too much stock in that answer, as you will see. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 28. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. This is a big, bustling city on a major trade road between Asia Minor, modern Turkey, and Rome. These people were business people. They were making money. There were a lot of ideas floating around in Corinth. But in verse 26, and this is primarily a Gentile church, he says, For you see your calling, brethren, not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. I would just slightly rephrase that and say, Do you see your calling? Do you understand that you've been called? Do you understand why you've been called? But what is a calling? I remember when I first went to Ambassador College, I heard this about being called. And I'd been in the church two or three years by that time, and I think I wandered around for several weeks wondering, how do I know I'm called? Because nobody ever explained what that meant. Nobody called me on the phone. I knew that. <laughs> But they didn't explain what a calling was. Turn over a page in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Notice what Paul is talking about here, beginning in verse 6. He says, However, we speak, the, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, not a lot of theories and a lot of ideas, not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age. We're not taking the worldly ideas who are coming to nothing, as we heard earlier. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Talking about the mystery of the coming kingdom of God. He said that's what we talk about. The hidden wisdom which God has ordained before the ages to our glory, which none of the rulers or thinkers or leaders of this age knew. Verse 10, but God has revealed these things to us by his spirit or through his spirit. You know, the, a calling <clears throat> is a capacity to understand the plan and purpose of God. A calling is a capacity to understand the plan and purpose of God. Why you're here. What the purpose of life is. That God has a plan that he's working out on this earth. You know, the world doesn't understand that. But when God calls you into contact with his church, you hear that explained every Sabbath almost. You hear that explained in Bible studies. You hear that explained on the broadcast, explaining what this plan is. It's a mystery to the world. Most of the world, Protestant world anyways, Catholic world, thinks they're going to heaven. That's not where they're going. See, they're on a totally different wavelength. So a calling is a capacity to understand the plan and purpose of God. You might think, well, you know, I'm just a teenager. I'm just a kid. 
I'm not being called so I can go out and drink and do all this other stuff because I'm not being called. I'm not, being gonna, not, I'm not going to be held responsible. Again, I wouldn't put a whole lot of money on that. That's a pretty risky decision. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, <clears throat> beginning in verse 10. And Paul is talking here to people that one person is in the church and the maid is not. It says, Now to the married I command, not I but the Lord, for wife is not, a wife is not to depart from her husband. If she does depart, they're to remain unmarried. And the husband shouldn't divorce his wife. But to the rest... I, Paul says, not the Lord. This is what I say. If any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And if a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he's willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. Now, verse 14 is the key verse. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. The word sanctified means set apart for special use. They're set apart for a special reason. Because they're being exposed to the truth every day as they live with that person. They learn about the Sabbath. They learn about the holy days. They learn about the plan and purpose of God. Now that's not too hard to understand, is it? about the coming kingdom of God, that's not real difficult to understand. It's not too difficult to learn that the Sabbath is the seventh day of the week (laughs) and that God says it's holy. That's not too difficult to understand. But then the last part of the verse, it says, but now, excuse me, uh, For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. The unbelieving wife is sanctified, special in God's sight by the husband. Otherwise are your children unclean, but now are they holy? They're special. If your mom or dad is part of the church and you're here with them, what it's saying is you are special in God's sight. You're having a special opportunity to understand the truth of God. And the question is, then, what are you going to do with it? You know, and for those of us that uh, have children that have decided to do other things, we've got to be patient. You know, we teach them, we tell them, then our example has to uh, be important, but then they have to make decisions on their own. But the point I want to make here is what we're told very plainly in the Bible, our kids are special. You are special as a young person. If you're here listening to the truth, the question will be, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? Because as we heard in the sermonette, this world is going down the tubes. As you see what's happening today all around the world, the question is, how much longer can things go on? Because we're reaching a turning point in history. It's going to be a surprise to the world. But it shouldn't be a surprise to us. Let's look just a little bit more about a calling, John 644. 
Again, the so-called Christian world, professing Christian world, doesn't really grasp what is being said here. Otherwise, they wouldn't be going up and down the streets trying to get people into their church and give their heart to the Lord. John 6 and verse 44, Jesus Christ is mentioning here, he says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws that person, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, you've got to be invited. You've got to be called. Now, if you're growing up in a home where your parents believe, you've got a head start. If you can see that head start, if you can sense that opportunity, a head start that many others are not going to have in this life. John 6, verse 65, Jesus repeats himself. Therefore have I said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by the Father, unless he's been allowed, unless he's been invited, unless he's been abled and able to understand the plan and the purpose of God. You have an opportunity to learn the truth, to hang on to it. Now, some people might say, well, you know, I just wonder, why did God call me? You know, I'm just me. I'm just little old me. Why did God call me? Now, you can sit and cogitate and think and ponder, and uh, you don't need to come up with your own idea. This is one thing I like about teaching from the Bible. The answers are all in the book. <laughs> The answers are all in the book. You don't have to speculate. Go back to Isaiah 65 and verse 1. Isaiah 65 and verse 1. Isaiah 65 and verse 1. Isaiah says here, I was sought by those who did not ask for me, and I was found by those who did not seek me. Think back on your calling. What were you doing when God began to work with you? Now, I was in graduate school. I was planning to be a doctor. I had my career mapped out for me. Uh, I had one year under my belt. I came home. My parents were living in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My brother came back from England. He'd been in living in a uh, living university. He'd been at Ambassador College in Brickett Wood. And I was kind of bragging. I said, you know, I bought a set of philosophy books. He said, uh, what'd you buy that junk for? He's my younger brother. <laughs> and he got my attention. He said, what do you mean junk? This is, this is good stuff. He said, it's junk. They're a bunch of perverts. <laughs> I don't know where he heard that. <laughs> but he got my attention. God used that to get my attention. And... Uh, he took me to church with them. I learned about the Sabbath. I went back to school, started keeping the Sabbath, and the rest is history. But I wasn't looking for the truth. I wasn't looking for the church of God. All I can conclude was, it's like Uncle Sam said, I want you <laughs> on the Marine Corps posters or the Army posters, whatever they are. But what we're told here is, Isaiah says, I was sought by those who did not ask for me, and I was found by those who did not seek me. We'll put this in another context. What if you're growing up in the church? Did God choose you? Well, he called your parents, 
and you came along with them. And you're being given an opportunity. And the question is, are you going to take the opportunity to do something with it? Or will you let it just drift by? But think about it. Building on this thought that I'm found by those who did not seek me, turn to Acts chapter 9 and verse 15, and notice what happened there. Acts chapter 9, verse 15. The Apostle Paul, he was actually Saul at that time, was on his way to kill a bunch of Christians, put them in jail. And God appeared to him on the road to Damascus. And he was struck down with this bright light, couldn't see. And he was uh, taken into the city, told to go see a man by the name of, you know, that he would, was there for three days. And then God appeared in vision to a man named Ananias. Verse 15, the Lord said to him about Paul, he's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. I want you to go to him because he's chosen. I chose Paul. And God wasn't asking for volunteers, and Paul didn't raise his hand. Now, here I am. He was going the opposite direction. He wanted to wipe out this new sect. But God had a different idea. He said, I want you. See, God chooses us. He calls us for a reason. Yeah, we've got 220-some people here today. How many people do we have in Charlotte? What, a million or something like that? Probably more. You're one of a much larger number of people. You're not here by accident, as I mentioned. You're here because God has chosen to give you an opportunity that he's not giving to the world right now. And I think people have left the church not fully grasping that. Well, you think about it. You think about it. What God is offering to you. Matthew 13, very quickly. This is a theme that literally runs through the Bible. The fact that God calls people. He chose the prophets. He chose specific individuals for jobs and responsibilities. Disciples asked Jesus in verse 10, why do you speak to these people in parables? You know, you're you're just telling stories. Why do you do that? And Jesus answered and said to them, because it has been given to you, given to you, to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, to understand the plan and purpose of human life. You're not floating off to heaven to sit on a cloud and play a harp. You've been called to prepare to rule with Jesus Christ on this earth and to change the world. That's why you've been called. You know, the scripture I've used with my boys numerous times in Luke 12, and I think it's verse 48, to whom much is given, much is going to be required. You know, most of you are able to attend school. Most of you have a decent diet and a decent place to live. You know, around the world, a lot of young kids don't have those opportunities. You know, I traveled to Kenya for about the last 12 to 15 years. 
for about 10 of those years, young people there whose parents could not afford to buy them a school uniform and buy them some books couldn't go to school. They just didn't have that opportunity. And people there were saying, we are losing a generation of young people because they can't afford to go to school. They can't afford to learn. They, they, they can't afford a uniform to wear. So they couldn't go to school. And most of us have grown up with free schools, with plenty of food to eat, with decent clothes to wear, with water that you can drink right out of the faucet. You don't have to boil it and <laughs> do all kind of other things to it. You could take a shower whenever you wanted to. On this past trip, I tried to take a couple of showers and there was no hot water. In a couple of cases, there was no water. <laughs> we are so blessed in this country. But Jesus was asked, why do you speak in parables? He said, because it's been given to you, given to you freely to understand the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And to them it's not given. Their opportunity will come. But you're having an opportunity now that many people would give their eye teeth and a lot of other things <laughs> just to understand what you understand. Verse 16, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, your ears, for they hear. And I don't think what I'm talking about is too hard to understand, is it? I don't see a lot of blank stares. It's not hard to understand what the kingdom of God is all about. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. You know, when Daniel was given some of his visions, he said, well, God, what does this mean? He was told, seal up the book, Daniel. It's not for you to know right now. But God is opening our understanding today. Some very exciting things. As I mentioned, we have been called to understand the purpose and the plan of God. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1 very quickly. Paul is writing here again to a Gentile church primarily. This is where one of the major temples in the Greek world uh, was built. <clears throat> Diana of the Ephesians. But notice what Paul is talking about. And I've sensed that some people don't fully understand what Paul is saying here. Verse 4, he says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him, having predestined us to the adoption of sons. Now the world teaches that predestination involves God knowing that you... Joe Blow or Susie Blow or whatever your name might be, that a million years ago he knew you would be born and he knew he was going to call you. But if that's the case, then he knew that uh, Joe Smith was going to be born and he was going to go to hell because he wasn't predestined to go to heaven. No, God predestined. Another word that you could use here is having a predetermined plan. 
a predetermined plan. He predetermined that he would call a small group of people to become the first fruits. Then they would reign with Jesus Christ on this earth when he comes back for a thousand years. And then the rest of the world would be called. It's not a big mystery. Having predestined or predetermined us to uh, adoption as sons by Jesus Christ. In verse 9, it talks about the mystery of his will. And we've been talking about this mystery, the plan and purpose of God. Down in verse 11, in him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things. Now, God has a purpose. He has a plan. I think I've mentioned this before, whenever things were coming apart back in the mid-90s. One young man that gave a sermon, he says, there is no plan. There is no plan. That's Mr. Armstrong's idea. The purpose and the plan is Jesus. Well, Jesus is part of that plan. But there is a plan. Paul is telling us here, there is a plan. There is a purpose that God is working out on this earth. And it's a mystery to the world. But brethren, you have been called to become part of that plan. Your mind has been opened to grasp that there is a purpose. There is a plan being worked out and you can have a part in that plan. Just very briefly, what is that plan? Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 to 4. And this can be an entire sermon at some point, maybe at the feast or wherever. But it's talking about what's going to happen when Jesus Christ returns and what you can be part of and what's going to take place at that time. Verse 2 of Isaiah chapter 2. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days, at the end of the age, that the mountain of the Lord's house, this is the government of God, shall be established on top of the mountains, it's going to rule the world, and shall be exalted uh, above the hills, and all nations will flow to it. The whole world is going to look to Jerusalem, where the headquarters of God's government is going to be, where you may have the opportunity also to be. And they're going to say, show us, teach us. It was exciting going to uh, western Kenya. We had about 100 and some people out there. They've come from another group. They were originally part of the Church of God Jerusalem. But they said, teach us. Teach us. Show us. Explain to us what these verses mean. They were told that all the Israelites are in Jerusalem. And a year ago, I went through uh, where the Israelites are. And I saw all these kind of concerned looks because it was being translated, and I'm not sure what was being translated. (laughs) But then the young man who was translating said, this is different from what we were taught. But he said, this makes more sense. This makes more sense. But the attitude was, teach us, show us, help us understand How would you like to be part of that? How would you like to do that in the coming kingdom of God? Where would you like to do that? Where would you like to be sent to work? I'd like to be sent to an island in the Caribbean. (laughs) That's manageable. (laughs) It's not a great big country. And you can see the fruits much more quickly. 
But where would you like to go? Talk to God about some of these things. And you think, well, this is all ethereal. No, it's not ethereal. When I went back to graduate school around 1978 to 1980, I was in a health education program with kids from all around the world. And had kids there from Africa, from India, different places. As I learned about some of these places, I thought, you know, it really would be neat to go to Kenya. Why Kenya? Because it sounded neat. (laughs) You know, I've been there about, I don't know, a dozen, 15 times since then. You know, God will give us what we desire if we desire it for the right reasons. Not to go there just as a tourist and wander around. I've been there on a job Uh, for a reason, for a purpose. What would you like to do in the coming kingdom of God? Think about it. What would you like to change? What would you like to do to help people live a better life? How can you prepare to do that? Think about it and talk about it to God. Say, God, look, you've called me. You're you're giving me this opportunity. How can you use me? What experiences will you allow me to have that will mold me and fashion me to make me into an instrument that you can use? You know, I've always wanted to be a teacher. That was my goal since I was probably in in high school. I'll explain my reasons for being a teacher. Because I thought they had a vacation for three months every summer. (laughs) But nobody told me they don't get paid for three months (laughs) in the summertime. So I had to come up with some other ideas, but I still wanted to be a teacher. You know, and God has given me the opportunity to be a teacher in a number of different settings. And this has been the most exciting one, I think. I remember a date I had with a girl one time in high school. She's, we were talking about careers, and he said, uh, she said, have you ever thought about being a minister? And I said, are you kidding? <laughs> the minister we had was a very nice fellow. <laughs> I just wasn't motivated uh, to do that. Hello, Mrs. Jones. How are you this morning? It's so good to see you. Just That wasn't me. But Mrs. Jones, hello. <laughs> you know, talk to God about what you'd like to do. If you want to be in the kingdom of God, tell him. And then sit back, put on your seatbelt, tighten it up, because it'll be a very interesting ride. Because you're probably not ready for what God wants to do with you. So he will have to get you ready. (laughs) And that may be a little bumpy from time to time. But if we endure, he will get us there. So we're talking here about the law going forth from Jerusalem. We never got to that. (laughs) Latter part of verse 3. For out of Zion shall go forth the law. And it talks about beating swords into plowshares. Time of peace. This is what's coming. This is what you can be part of if you grab a hold of the opportunity and you don't let it slip through your fingers. 
One other scripture, Isaiah chapter 9. We're talking about politics and elections in the sermonette. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Talking about what's going to happen when Jesus Christ returns. It's a prophecy. For unto us a son is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He is the one who knows how to bring peace to this earth. And the individuals he's going to put on his staff will understand how to bring peace to this earth. That's a whole other sermon. But when people begin to learn to live by the laws of God, there will be peace. And part of our job is going to show the world the way to peace. I think it was Mao Tsung who said, peace comes out of a gun barrel. No, it doesn't come out of a gun barrel. Peace comes out of the way to peace, comes out of the word of God. And when we learn that way and teach that way to others, we're going to help bring peace to this earth. And you're going to have a possibility of doing that if you grab a hold of the opportunity. If you seek first the kingdom of God. Well, I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God after I get a wife and after I get a husband, after I get a car and after I get a job. No, seek first the kingdom of God and all those other things will follow. All those other things will follow. But that's where faith comes in. Do you believe what's in the book? Do you believe what it says? If you believe it, then focus your mind on that. Focus your energies on that. You've been called, and I keep emphasizing that. You're here because you've been called. You're here because God is offering you, offering you an opportunity to be part of a great plan that he's working out on this earth. That is reason number one why you're here. You're not here by accident. You're here because you've been called. God has opened your mind to understand about his plan and purpose. Reason number two. <clears throat> Reason number two, you're here because you've been called to watch and be ready. To watch and be ready for the return of Jesus Christ. God has chosen to call you because he doesn't want you to miss out on the opportunity. That's why we watch. So we don't miss out on the opportunity. Because God loves you. You know, Jesus Christ and God the Father are not up there saying, well, you know, I don't like that one over there, but we'll call him anyways. You know. <laughs> no, he calls us because he loves us. And you might ask, I don't know what he loves about me. But <laughs> He's calling you because he wants you. He wants something that you have to be part of his team part of his family that he wants to use. What's interesting is he's provided vital information about the future so that you won't be surprised. You won't be taken by surprise. That's why these prophecies are there. Part of it's to warn the world about what's coming, but another big part of it is so his special people will not be taken by surprise. You're going to know what's coming. 
You're going to know what's ahead. You're going to see these things coming together. John 14, verses 1 and 2. Jesus makes a statement here that is widely misunderstood. And I misunderstood it growing up. Many people misunderstand it today. Jesus is talking with his disciples the night before he was crucified. These are the verses that we really, you know, we read as we approach the Passover or on the Passover. Jesus is telling his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, many rooms, many chambers. The temple had a number of different rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Now, many people think that he's preparing this place up in heaven. We're going to go there, and this is my cloud, and that's your cloud over there, and this is my harp, and this is your harp over there. That's not what he's talking about. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, and where I am, you're going to be also. It's not going to be heaven. How do you know? How can you prove differently? What chapter, verse, and book would you go to? Let's try Zechariah 14. Maybe linked together, John 14 and Zechariah 14. And that chapter explains pretty much where Christ is going to be, what he's going to be doing, and what you can do. Zechariah 14, verse 1, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. So this is the subject. Down to verse 4, In that day, the day of the Lord, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Now where is the Mount of Olives? right near Jerusalem. So that's where he's coming back to. He talks about he's going to divide in two. Latter part of verse 5, it says, Thus the Lord my God will come and all the saints with him. So this is St. Augustine and St. Ambrose and St. Francis. and No, it's not all those saints. This is you. The people that God is calling into his church are the saints. The saints are going to be with him. That's what we're told. In verse 9, it says, The Lord shall be king over all the earth. Not all over the clouds in heaven. All over the earth. Is that hard to understand? I just don't get it, you know. His feet are going to stand on the Mount of Olives. That's profound. No, (laughs) it's exactly what's going to happen. Do you want to be there with him? Well, I don't know. Let me see. No. (laughs) Do you want to be there or not? I want to be there. And there's certain things we have to do to be there. See, this is not that difficult. It's not that hard to understand. So the disciples were told... In Matthew 24, verse 3, because they asked Jesus the question, what is going to be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So they were asking, how are we going to know we're getting close to the end of the age? Now, in your notes, you might want to write down Matthew 19, verses 27 through 30. Why did the disciples ask this question? What's going to be the sign of your coming of the end of the age? Jesus had just told them, in Matthew 19, about their reward. You know, Peter had mentioned, uh, you know, what's in it for us if we follow you? 
Jesus told them eternal life. You know, as we get older, and as I get older, eternal life sounds much more interesting than it did whenever I was 16. I wasn't interested in eternal life then. I just wanted life, period. (laughs) But as we get older and our hair falls out and our teeth fall out and various things begin to happen, you think, wow, you know, you look in the mirror and think, oh, is that me? (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to live for eternity with my kids, with my grandkids, with my friends and so on. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be exciting. But they had been told earlier, too, you 12 are going to rule over the 12 tribes of Israel. You're going to be the boss. Now, there are other conditions behind this, but they knew what their reward was. They were told they're going to have crowns. So this is why they're asking, when? (laughs) When's the sign? What's the sign? When are we going to get our reward? That's what they were focusing on. They were focused so much on that. You can read this couple of accounts. The night of the Passover, they were arguing who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Doesn't sound like they were real converted. (laughs) They weren't. They knew what the reward was. They wanted the physical aspects, but they didn't have the attitude. They were missing some things. So when they ask what's going to be the sign of your coming and at the end of the age, how are we going to know about your return? We're not going to go through all these things, but you know, most people today are told, well, don't worry about it. It could be tonight, could be next week, could be 100 years from now. Don't worry about it. It'll happen. Jesus said, watch for this, watch for this, watch for this. And as you see these things, know that the time is near. Notice down in verse 14, it says, This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. That is the goal and the mission of this church, is to preach the gospel of the coming kingdom of God to the entire world. As Mr. Ames read in the announcements, the person that heard it said, Wow, I've never heard that before. I remember the first Feast of Trumpets I went to. The minister kind of went through all seven of the holy days. And this big guy in front of me turned around. He was kind of like a father figure for me. He said, what did you think of that? I said, he just blew my mind. He said, I've never heard anything like that. And I've been attending church all my life. I've never heard about a coming kingdom of God on this earth. Those of you growing up in the church, you've heard this as long as you've been here. The question is, do you believe it? Do you want to be part of it? Is that desire palpable? I mean, can Christ see that? Oh, yeah, I'd like to be in the kingdom. Amen. Or, Father, I want to be in your kingdom. I would like to be for these reasons. And maybe write out ten reasons. And go over those with God so that he sees what's in your heart. So he sees what your priorities are. So this gospel is going to be preached in all the world for a witness. This is the goal of the work. That's what Dr. Meredith has been focused on. 
That's where we need to be focused. That's where Jesus Christ is focused right now. Verse 24, excuse me, 21 to 22. Some other signs. It says, For then will be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until now, wherever shall be. And unless those days, those days right before Christ returns, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake. The elect are those people that God is calling now, you, for your sake. Those days will be shortened. Things are going to get tough. You see what's happening in the Middle East over there. The Iranians are shooting off rockets that said that this is going to wipe Israel off the map. This is a nice neighbor. I remember reading in the book that Queen Noor had written, one of her statements was, we live in a very rough neighborhood over here. (laughs) These things are happening. Things are going to get very difficult. Things are going to get difficult, so we need to prepare for that. In Matthew 24, verses 42 to 44, this is at the end of the, towards the end of the chapter, it says, Watch therefore, for you don't know the hour our Lord is coming. But know this, uh, you know, if the master of the house knew when the thief was come, he would, have, would not have allowed it to be broken into. Verse 44, Therefore you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you don't uh, expect. The same theme is continued in Matthew 25, verses 10 through 13, talking about the five foolish virgins and the five wise virgins. The foolish ones weren't watching. When Christ came back, they weren't ready. As a result, they missed out on the opportunity that they could have had. They missed out on the opportunity they could have had. The keys were right there. Oh, I don't need them. I don't understand what you're talking about. How are you going to feel? I could have had the car, and I could have been in the kingdom. Think about it. Don't miss out on the opportunity that you're being given right now as you listen to the sermon. And you'll hear other sermons about these things. Luke makes one more observation, Luke 21, verse 36, talking about the same type of situation, talking about watching. Luke 21, verse 36, but he adds another dimension. says, watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape. That you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. These things will come to pass that we've been talking about. And he says, pray that you may be counted worthy to escape what's coming. And what do we have to do to be counted worthy? Don't treat lightly the opportunity God is giving you. Don't treat it lightly. You understand what I'm talking about? Get your life focused. 
Talk to God about these things. I want to be in the kingdom of God. Now you can go back through some of the <clears throat> prophecies in the book of Daniel, the specific signs that are there. And again, they're specific because God wants his chosen people not to miss out, not to be surprised. And these prophecies are coming to pass today. We've been talking about these things for decades. In Daniel chapter 2, verses 40 through 45, about the fourth empire there, the feet and the toes of this big image, are iron and clay. They don't stick together very well. But what we're told there is a stone cut out of the mountain is going to strike these ten toes. And the whole thing is going to crumble. Revelation 17 talks about ten kings are going to give their power to a beast. So when we see ten nations, ten kings, ten something (laughs) coming together in Europe with the Pope or some Catholic uh, authority riding this beast, when you see this happening, it says, wake up, you know, get ready. It's kind of like, ready or not, here I come. (laughs) It's going to happen. These things are coming together today. The EU is coming apart. As we have the uh, news and prophecy thing, uh, Mrs. Merkel is saying Germany needs to take a bigger role. We've been talking about all of this. I saw another report yesterday that the EU is... uh, going to be pushing to really have a European army. They want that. They said this is essential if we're going to be uh, playing a big role on 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 the earth. All of this stuff we've been talking about is coming together. It's just a matter of time. So as we see these things, uh, we better wake up. Daniel 11, verses 40 to 44 and 45 says, At the time of the end, we're going to see three kings on the world scene. King of the south is going to push against the king of the north. What we're seeing today is an immigrant push right now. There may be something militarily after that. But it's tearing Europe apart. So we're seeing the king of the south pushing against the king of the north. It's going to be interesting to find out which nation may be the king. You know, Samuel Huntington mentions in his book on the uh, clash of civilizations. He said, Europe has a core, which is France and Germany. He said, China is a core nation. But the Arab world doesn't have a core. It doesn't have a core nation. That's why you have the Turks trying some things and the Arabs trying some things and then Libyans trying some things. There's no core there. It's different. said Russia is a swing nation, tends to go back and forth. Japan is a swing nation, tends to go back and forth. Russia fought with the Allies during World War II. Then we had a Cold War against them. We fought the Japanese. Right now the Japanese are with us. But what happens when Big Brother and China... (laughs) begins flexing his muscles. You can see some things moving back and forth. It talks about a king of the north invading the Middle East. And the Europeans, if they get an army together, they may go in as peacekeepers. But then they're there, protecting the oil and some other things. It's interesting how the Germans are kind of taking over protecting Israel, since America is kind of backing out from that. 
I mean, we need to watch these things. And it talks about kings from the east are going to be coming. Last week or two weeks ago, it was a meeting between Russia, China, and Persia, Iran. said, we can take on the West. And they were talking about Iran as Persians. They're, they're Muslim, but they're not Arabs. So it's going to be interesting to watch how this comes together. You know, there's no mention of the Israelite nations in this end time scenario. And the answer is because of Jeremiah chapter 30 talks about time of Jacob's trouble. There's going to be a period of captivity. And it says, read the last verse of Jeremiah 30. It said, in the last days, you will understand these things. All these prophecies are going to come together at the end of the age. As we see these things, we need to get focused. This is why you're here, brethren, so that you can watch and know what to watch for, so you can be ready when Christ returns and you won't be surprised. And this is second reason why you're here. Third reason, you're here to prepare for roles in the coming kingdom of God. You're here to prepare. You know what's coming. You can get ready. As we heard in the sermonette, 2 Corinthians 6.17 talks about coming out of this world. And that's tough, especially if you're a young person. Well, if I come out of this world, I won't have any fun. Well, fun is relative. Fun is relative. Some people have fun getting drunk. But then the next morning comes around. The next morning comes around. Oh, my head doesn't work very good. I can't walk straight and I'm sick. Why? Because of the night before. This is what happens. I grew up, was in a fraternity house for three years in college. And they played drinking games there. See how much you could drink. I remember watching guys hanging onto the toilet and just... (laughs) Fun! In perspective, it was not fun. But they did it again and again and again and again because that's what everybody did. We're to come out of this world. This is Satan's world. You look at education. You look at governments. You look at uh, entertainment. They come up with this television program on Lucifer. It says he abdicated from hell to take a vacation moved to Los Angeles, opened up a nightclub, and he's not such a bad guy. This is the world we're living in, this type of stuff. I was looking at some sex education stuff that is being offered in our schools. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Where perverted behaviors are being advocated by teachers and medical people are saying, you guys got to be nuts. You've got to be nuts. You're encouraging these kids to do things that are going to destroy them. And yet, well, it's mandated, so I guess we have to do it. This is the world we live in. These are things that need to change. You were to come out of this world, and it takes amount, it takes, it's going to take courage to do that. If you're a younger person or if you're working outside the church, 
you start to change your life, people are going to ridicule you, make fun of you. But you're going to have to have the guts and the determination to say, this is the way I'm going to go. And you'll be able to say that if you know why you're going to go in that direction. I want to be in the kingdom of God. That is real. I know it's going to happen, and I want to be there. And I want to make whatever changes I need to make so that I can be there. This is what it's going to take. And this is what God is going to have to see. Because he's going to want to give you eternal life. So he's going to have to know what's in your heart and what motivates you. You know, we're going to have a chance to change the world. We're going to have that chance and that opportunity if we stay focused on our calling. Notice in Ezra chapter 6. Ezra, Ezra chapter 7. Ezra was called to do a job. He caught the vision. He understood what his job was going to be. And he got busy and prepared for it. And we can do the same thing. You know, it's not hard to understand this concept that Christ is going to come back and set up a government on this earth. And he's going to change the world. And we can be part of that. Notice in verse 6 of Ezra chapter 7, Ezra was among the captives in Babylon. He was given a job to go up to Jerusalem, get them, uh, the Jews back on track. It says, this Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses. He was skilled. He had written out the law. He knew how to apply it. He knew about it. He had learned about it. You know, you don't become a skilled scribe with sleep learning. You lay down and sleep on the Bible. It doesn't work. I tried it. <laughs> it doesn't work. You've got to write out the verses. Even with our Living University classes, one of the classes I teach, that I have to write out the, a summary of, of, of each chapter when going through the OTS class. And initially, oh, we got to do that. I said, yes, and you can't cut and paste. You've got to write it out. Why? Because you're using your muscles, you're using your mind, you're internalizing things. The more senses you use, the deeper that's ingrained. So Ezra was a skilled scribe. He'd written out the law numerous times. Down to verse 10. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. He was preparing for the job that he knew was coming. We just read in Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 to 4. The law is going to go forth from Jerusalem. We're going to have the opportunity to teach the world about the laws of God, how they apply to education, how they apply to government, how they apply to economies, how do they apply to child rearing and family relations. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be exciting if you're there. If you're there. If you want to be there. If you prepare to be there. Jesus Christ raised up a church, Matthew 16, 18. But he raised up or established a church of individuals he was calling out of the world. 
That's why you're here. You're here because God called you or called your parents or called somebody that you know. And he wants to use you to change the world. That's why you're here. It's not an accident. If you're still thinking, I wish it was an accident, (laughs) you missed the point. You missed the point. Get rid of that thinking. Focus on being in the kingdom of God. We're told in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else is going to fall into place. Don't make it last, make it first. And watch for God to answer your prayers. Part of our job as a church is to preach the gospel to the world that many have never heard before. Your tithes and offerings make this possible. Your prayers make it possible. You know, I just got an email from uh, Lottie Ferreira down in wherever he is, Zambia or Zimbabwe. He said that uh, the mail didn't get through. So a number of people didn't show. And this is par for the course in some of these countries. So you can pray that God would open the doors so that the mail can get through, the notifications can get through. So people that here will do something. These Tomorrow's World presentations we had last week and this week and next week. Pray that God would work in the hearts and minds of those people that have been invited. Because Satan will play games with them. Oh, it's too far. You don't want to go. You might get a flat tire. You're almost out of gas. You don't have enough money to get there. Don't worry about it. No, pray that God would move them to want to be there and be motivated. We're in this together. We've got to be focusing on recapturing true values and preparing to change the world. That's one of the reasons you're here, the third reason. You're here to prepare for the coming kingdom of God. Brethren, as I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, this year I have been in the church of God for 50 years. Some of you have been longer, some maybe not that long. But I've seen a lot of people come and go, just as you have seen a lot of people come and go. And I really believe that those who left the church, and in some cases gave up their faith, they did so because they never fully understood or never fully appreciated the three reasons that we talked about today. They may have never grasped why they were here and why others weren't. They never fully grasped or understood what they were part of. Oh, it's a nice church. They got free food after after sermons. And they've got a nice summer camp that uh, my kids can go to. These are not the reasons. You've been called to become part of the family of God, part of the church of God that God is preparing, using to prepare a group of people that are going to change the world. The questions we ask in the very beginning again, do you understand why you're here? Do you deeply understand why you're here? Do you realize what you've been called to be part of? You have been called. You have been called to be part of something very special. Do you want to be in the kingdom of God? Do you want to be there so bad that you can taste it? 
You know, when you go through the what was called the Lord's Prayer and you say, Thy kingdom come, can you say that with passion? God, thy kingdom come. It needs to come. It needs to come. If God can sense that passion from you, that's the passion that Jesus Christ has. He came to give his life to become the Savior of the world. We have been called to help save the world. And you can do that if you understand why you're here.